All right, well, we come now to our catechism lesson for today, where we have been presenting what's basically an introduction to systematic theology. And we are currently looking at the doctrine of the church. And in particular, at this point, the, the diligent use of the outward and ordinary means of grace, whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his mediation. We have begun to look in particular at some of those means, and we began three lessons ago looking specifically at the use of God's word. Question 90 of the Shorter Catechism summarizes for us what our responsibilities are in reading and hearing the word. It asks, how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? The answer is that the word may become effectual to salvation. We must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer, receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. Well, last Lord's Day, we began to unpack that answer, and today we're going to pick up, pick up from where we left off. And as we noted last week, we are to be diligent in hearing and reading the word, especially in hearing the word taught and preached. Proverbs 8, verse 32 says, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. And we also noted how we are to come to the word prepared. Jesus said in Luke 8, 18, Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. We also noted last week that we are to have a high and reverent esteem of the scriptures, embracing them for what they truly are, the very word of God. Psalm 19, starting in verse 7, says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And so as we saw last week, we are to come diligently and prepared with a right frame of mind. We come to hear and to read the word of God. But we also come, as the Shorter Catechism states, with prayer. And with this, this is where we will pick up now from where we left off last Lord's Day. Listen to the prayer of Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Now I want you to notice this prayer is built off a point we made last week, and that being that God is the author of our salvation. As we read from Peter, Lord, only you have the words of eternal life. To who else, to who else can we go? Only you can open my mind to understand your word. And so we pray as the psalmist does here, open my eyes. Beloved, it's no coincidence that you will often hear those words from our men in our prayer meeting before the service and from our pastors during the service. 
Open our eyes, open our ears. This is a prayer straight out of the word that acknowledges that God must remove the spiritual blindness that hinders us from seeing his glory and beauty in the word. And so it should be a frequent prayer of yours when you approach the word. Paul also says in Ephesians 6, verse 16, starting in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Joe Moorcraft writes, Since God in Christ by the Spirit promises to give himself and his blessing to his children through the preaching of the word, those children will earnestly beseech God In other words, they'll pray to give what he has promised and will not let him go until he has so blessed them. Our Lord Jesus gave us a parable to that effect. In Luke 18, starting in verse 2, he said, In a city, certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? And our Lord gave us this parable. He says in verse one, quote, to the effect that they ought always to pray to not lose heart. Of course, the point of this parable is not that God is like the unrighteous judge who will eventually and begrudgingly listen to the cries of his people. Rather, it's a contrast. If a proud and wicked judge will help a widow who means nothing to him because she kept asking, how much more will our righteous God answer the prayers of his elect, of his people whom he loves? And so we attend to the reading and hearing of the word with much prayer. Lord, open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law. Well, next, the catechism says that we are to receive the word with faith and love. Now, I spent a whole lesson on the means of grace in connection with faith, so I won't belabor that here, but just as a quick reminder, listen to Hebrews 4, verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And then Hebrews 11.6, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is the open, empty, outstretched hand that receives Christ and his blessings of salvation offered in the preached word. Faith comes to Christ, it clings to Christ, it embraces him, it feeds upon Christ in the preached word. But we not only come in faith, we come with a love of the truth. 
Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, it, that is love, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Do you see the contrast here in 2 Thessalonians 2? There are those who love the truth and so be saved versus those who take pleasure in unrighteousness, wrongdoing. And the flip side of taking pleasure in unrighteousness is to believe and love the truth. Those who are being saved will love the truth that they receive in the reading and hearing of God's word because they understand that it is by that truth that Christ comes to them and communes with them. In John 3, starting in verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So I want you to make this connection here. We love and we embrace the word of God because we love and embrace Christ. But those who refuse to love the word do so because they refuse and hate Christ. It's that simple. And they take pleasure in their rebellion. They know that coming to the light will expose their darkness and unrighteousness. And since they love that darkness, they will not come and embrace the light. Again, Warcraft writes, because they love the living word, they love the written word and the preached word. For both bring them closer to him whom they love with all their hearts and souls. You see, there's a connection between our love for the word, for truth, for doctrine and our love for Christ. You cannot divorce the two. And so your attitude toward the word, whether it's read or preached, will reveal your attitude toward Christ. The Bible knows nothing of this idea you see so often, especially on Facebook, of those who say, well, I love Christ, but I have no interest in the word. I have no interest in sitting under its teaching and under its preaching. Well, next the catechism states, that we are to lay that word up in our hearts. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And in Proverbs 2, starting in verse 1, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Beloved, to lay up the word in our hearts is to treasure it, to seek it, to listen attentively to it. We see the heart is the seat of our affections, of our will and emotions. And what we store away in our heart determines who and what we really are. If you recall what our Lord said in Matthew 12, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, 
and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And then finally, we come to that last phrase in answer 90, that we are to practice the word in our lives. Again, remind you, we read this last week, Luke 8, 15, for as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Further, James 1.25 says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And then 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Beloved, it's not enough to come every week to merely hear the word. Are you coming to be rebuked, to be corrected, to be instructed? Are you coming to seek to reform your life according to that word? Now you may ask, well, who in the world wants to subject themselves to that? Who would willingly come to be rebuked, to be corrected? Well, if you truly love Christ, you will desire those things. Remember what we read from John. They don't come to the light because they love darkness and their evil deeds will be exposed. James says, uh, James 1, starting in verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Beloved, it is by the doing of the word, by practicing it in our lives, that we prove or evidence who we truly are. And those who merely hear but do not practice deceive themselves. They may call themselves Christians, but in reality, they're not. Well, having looked briefly then at these responsibilities that the Catechism points out to us from Scripture, when reading and hearing the word, just conclude with this. As we heard in Luke 8, in Jesus' parable of the sower last week, there are different approaches to the word. There are some approaches that in the end will only prove to be in vain. But there is one approach that will prove true and bear fruit. And regardless of whatever we may think about God's sovereignty and decree, Jesus clearly warns us to take heed to how we hear the word. You know, sometimes I think we make things too difficult confusing. Sometimes I think we know that we think we know better than God. None of what Jesus said negates his sovereignty. Rather, what it tells us is that in his sovereignty, God has ordained the means to the end. And so the question is real simple. Do we embrace those means or do we neglect them? And if we neglect them, should we be surprised when disaster comes as a result? These are the ordinary means that God has decreed. He tells us right here in this word how we should approach his word. And the divines have nicely summarized it for us here in the catechism. And so I close with asking this. Do you make these things a priority? Do you come to the word and the reading and hearing of it with diligence, preparation, and prayer? Do you come frequently seeking the word daily? 
Do you come with a high and reverent esteem for the word and embrace the word for what it truly is, the very word of God? Do you receive it with faith and love? And do you treasure it in your heart and practice it in your life? These are some very practical things that the word itself points us to. And my prayer is that you will make these matters a priority in your life and examine yourself daily in these things.